become clear to me this week that Terry and Andrew did not invite me to preach today because I am a seminarian with new ideas or because I need practice for my future ministry or even because I am in town so rarely and they didn't want to miss the opportunity. Clearly they invited me to preach because today's gospel is tough, y'all. They dodged a bullet. So first, Jesus tells the disciples that the temple is going to be destroyed. The idea of hearing about destruction in our gospel can make us a little uncomfortable on a Sunday morning. But I have learned a lot about this temple in the past couple of months that makes this story even more uncomfortable. On one hand, Jesus is speaking very literally here, and so is Luke. By the time Luke sat down to write this account of Jesus' life, the Roman army had already come in and just wiped that temple right out. So it could be said that Jesus was trying to prepare the people, or at least Luke thought he was, for the hard times ahead of them in terms of the destruction of their temple. But when we look at the other places in the Gospels where Jesus talks about the temple, such as when he overturns the money changers' tables, we see that there's more to it. Jesus is calling the Jews around him to let go of their relationship with the temple, regardless of whether or not it still stands. This was huge for them. Since the temple was built hundreds of years before, the Jews truly believed that that was where God lived, and that the only way for their sins to be forgiven was through sacrificing at the temple. Keep in mind, before John the Baptist, Jews had never heard of the one holy baptism for the forgiveness of sins. I can only imagine our response here at St. Peter's if after all of our hard work, budgeting, and prayer, we were asked to simply abandon the Morgan House. Basically, Jesus was asking the Jews to rethink their entire relationship with their God. He was debunking everything that they knew to be true about their identity as God's people. Uncomfortable, to say the least. Then it gets even stickier. When the disciples ask Jesus when and how this is going to happen, he says, you'll know it's going to happen when the whole world goes to you know where in a handbasket. There will be wars, earthquakes, famine, and in addition, everyone who follows Jesus will be persecuted. So you're going to lose your temple and everything and everyone else you have. It's getting pretty uncomfortable now. So at this point, we have to take a step back. Lucky for us, we don't have to read this passage of Luke all by itself. It plays a role in the larger narrative of the gospel, which tells us two things. One, Jesus is here to turn everything over, and it might get uncomfortable. And two, when things do get really uncomfortable, in fact, just as awful as we can imagine, that's when we know that the kingdom of God is near. This passage tells us that at the worst of times, even a typhoon that kills a sickening number of people, these times are cause to hope more. Because the thing about Jesus is that when he died, he didn't stay dead. So for Christians, an end doesn't really have to be an end. Death and destruction will never get the final word. Life that cannot be overtaken by death is what awaits us after our lives are completely 
Although there are still wars, typhoons, and famine in the world today, and though Christians have been persecuted throughout history, it doesn't really seem like Jesus' overturning is going to be particularly violent here at St. Peter's. I'm sure many of you, like myself, are tempted to hope that maybe St. Pete's will get off without the whole uncomfortable part of the kingdom of God. But I'm here to tell you that so far in my life, that joke has been on me. All first-year seminarians at Virginia Theological Seminary must take a class called Introduction to the Theology and Practice of Ministry. At first, I loved it. I soaked up wonderful readings about priestly listening, addressing problems theologically, even preaching, until one day I'm assigned an article about my worst nightmare, evangelism. Here's my thing. It's not that I don't want to tell people about God's amazing love. It's just that I don't want anyone to think that whatever they currently believe or wherever they are on their faith journey is not enough for God to love them. If I believe God loves everyone as they are, how do I tactfully suggest that people turn to Jesus? I'm working on it. Needless to say, these were an uncomfortable couple of weeks at school. Just when I thought things couldn't get worse, it hit me. In today's gospel, Jesus plainly says that when things get bad, it's a sign the kingdom of God is near. Oh no. This can only mean that the kingdom of God includes, you guessed it, Hannah the Evangelizer. Jesus is overturning everything I thought I knew about my calling and my relationship with God. Turns out it's going to be even harder. So, what does the kingdom actually look like? And how do we help bring it about? For Jews who believed in Jesus in the first century, the remarkable characteristic that set them apart from other Jews was their joy in community. Early Christians showed love to one another in a way that hadn't been present in their lives before. But here at St. Peter's, we have a lot of love and joy already. So how can we recognize the kingdom when Jesus overturns our lives today? In moments like this, when I'm not exactly sure how the gospel story is my story, I think of some wise words a priest once told me. Thank God we have the Old Testament. The Old Testament constantly reminds us that someone else, at one point or another, has felt like we feel, and probably worse. We're part of a story that began thousands of years ago and will continue for years to come. And if we want to talk about the opposite of uncomfortable, we can just look at today's passage from Isaiah. For I am about to create Jerusalem as a joy and its people as a delight. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and delight in my people. No more shall the sound of weeping be heard in it or the cry of distress. Hundreds of years before Jesus rejects the temple, the Israelites are in exile in Babylon. Sometimes I can relate, feeling like I'm in exile in the north. Isaiah tells them that after the hardship comes the joy. But what's really telling in this passage for me is when Isaiah says, For one who dies a hundred years will be considered a youth, and one who falls short a hundred will be considered accursed. I don't think this literally means that people will live forever and anybody who doesn't is actually cursed. What I think this means is that the kingdom of God is a kingdom not just of joy, but
but of abundance, where everyone has enough. When life conquers death, everyone will have enough. When our lives are overturned and when we experience Christ's resurrection, it will not be for a fleeting moment, and it will not just include some people. We will find that everyone has enough love, enough time, and that we, just as we are, are enough. It is scary to think that any day now, Jesus might rock our world and show us that something we thought to be true is not. It can make us question our knowledge, our faith, our self-worth. But the truth in today's readings is that Jesus overturns us and even destroys us. And from the ashes resurrects a people who have enough and who are enough just as they are.